Morning, everybody. All right, let's get our Bibles open. Revelation chapter 10. I wanted to tell you, uh, we talked about idols last week. Remember that? It's a long time ago, last Sunday. Talked about idolatry, and uh, we had some great conversation when we got home uh, about idols, and the kids felt obligated and really moved to tell their mother that they uh, could really perceive an idol of caffeine in her life. Mom, you won't even talk to us until we, you, you've had your caffeine. So we decided to do some parenting and disciple them by saying, kids, anything can be an idol except caffeine. <laughs> if you want to see the idolatry really come out, deny us that, and then you'll understand. So I'm sure you had similar conversations in your home. Let's read Revelation chapter 10, 1 through 11. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and, and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we are but one church gathered among many churches on this, the Lord's day, we pray for the church, the church universal, the church in hard places, Lord and when we say that, we don't mean that we're not in a hard place. Our difficulty is just different than our brothers and sisters around the world. We have our own temptations. We have our own idols. We have our own blind spots. We have our own kind of persecution. 
but we pray for the witness of your people because we represent you. We represent you on earth. And Lord, you are saving people through us. So we pray for faithfulness among the church. We pray that we would love our lives not, even to death. That we would be willing to follow you all the way, to die to ourselves, to die to everything that this world presents to us in order that we may be found in Jesus Christ and share in his resurrection. So Lord, forgive us when we do not witness and testify to who you are well. When we testify to the world that is watching us, other things are more important. Health, wealth, cars, houses, dreams being fulfilled, getting everything we can out of this world, and not Jesus as our ultimate treasure. It comforts us, Lord, to know that as, even as we pray, Lord Jesus, you are praying for us. And your prayers are perfect. So, Father, hear our prayers. Send out your glory to the ends of the earth, the four corners of the earth, through your people, in word and in deed, for what hope does this world have if not for the gospel, if not for God's people, if not for churches, we pray for the church. We pray for our witness. We pray for our town and even the churches in our town, Lord, for revival if there needs to be, for reformation if there needs to be, for faithfulness if there is a lack. Keep us faithful to your word. Keep us humble, knowing that any good that we have as a church comes from you, not from us. We give you the glory and we ask your blessing on the preaching of your word in this passage that is for us, Lord. It's for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. There was an interlude between the sixth and seventh seal, if you remember. There is an interlude between the sixth and seventh trumpet. We have yet to get to the seventh trumpet, and these two chapters, 10 and 11, serve as a bridge going really from the first half of the book to the second, to kind of form a bridge over which we're going to cross, and then chapter 12 is kind of like the main conflict, the lamb and the dragon. Okay, so we're moving, we're, we're, we're on the move, and these two chapters are written, I mean, it's all for us, but they're specifically for the church, specifically for God's people on earth. And what you're going to hear is that there will be the bitterness of suffering, persecution, and death, but there is also sweetness. God's word, his sovereignty, his gospel, his people, his imminent return. It's amazing to me to see the heart of God for you in this book, how he had you in mind pausing to encourage you. He just keeps pausing to encourage you because he knows it's hard. He knows it's scary to tell you that despite all appearances, he is in charge. 
He knows you need to hear that. He knows I need to hear that. That even though we've heard it thousands of times, perhaps, we forget. And we don't act like it. We act like we have to be in charge. So it's almost like he knows we might get discouraged in this life. Do you sense that? Almost like he knows that. And uh, looking around at our world and our circumstances, we might be tempted to think winter is never going to end. I mean, you know, literally and spiritually. It's never going to end, even though spring is coming. And it is. We live, my friends, in the time between the times. Know where you are in redemptive history. You live in the time between the times. We say the now and not yet. The kingdom of God has come and it is coming. It's the time when the lamb is on the move. And I know you won't believe me, but Noah and I did not compare notes this morning and where I'm going here. So I was smiling as he was talking up here. Lewis portrays this so vividly in Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. The reign of the White Queen is ending. The kingdom of Aslan is coming. Winter is turning to spring. And in that transition, as you're experiencing it, it's almost hard to believe because you get so used to winter. You get so used to disappointment, discouragement, problems, struggles. It's hard. And so you can miss the spring. That's what was happening in Narnia. And Lewis writes it this way. Unless you have looked at a world of snow as long as Edmund had been looking at it, you will hardly be able to imagine what a relief those green patches were after the endless white. Do you see the green patches in our world? God's grace is creating them. I'm looking at a lot of them right now. New creation. New creation. A new world is coming. Let me keep reading. That's a long passage, but I don't care. And when you hear sunshine and flowers, when you, when you hear uh, uh, you know, nature in what he's writing, think of souls being saved. Think of people coming to faith. Think of lives being changed, okay? This is happening around us every day. Every moment the patches of green grew bigger and the patches of snow grew smaller. Every moment more and more of the trees shook off their robes of snow. Soon, wherever you looked, instead of white shapes, you saw the dark green of firs or the black prickly branches of bare oaks and beeches and elms. Then the mist turned from white to gold and then cleared away altogether. Shafts of delicious sunlight struck down onto the forest floor and over, overhead you could see a blue sky between the treetops. Soon there were more wonderful things happening. Edmund saw the ground covered in all directions with little yellow flowers. The noise of water grew louder. Then came an even more delicious sound. A bird suddenly chirped from the branch of a tree. And within five minutes, the whole wood was ringing with birds' music. It's happening. It's happening right now. This is no thaw, says the witch's dwarf. This is spring. 
Your winter has been destroyed, I tell you. This is Aslan's doing. The time that you live in, brothers and sisters, is the end of winter and the beginning of spring, and it is Jesus' doing. It's happening all around you. And just to declare His name, when we declare it, today, every day, it is an act of war against the forces of evil. To see and rejoice in the good, the green patches, all that's happening, it is an act of war. It is protest against the the ruler of this age. Their power is coming to an end. It is almost finished. How many of you, and and I want to see your hands, how many of you have moments when you feel hopeless? Hold them up. Look around. I know it's awkward. Just look at each other. We're in South Dakota. You don't like me to ask you to do anything like that. How many of you feel sometimes like the evil, the struggle, the disappointment? It's never going to end. It's just an eternal winter. When you look around, do you see how much you need each other? Do you know how much you need each other? You're not alone. You're not alone when you feel that. Everybody feels that. That's why we need each other. Encourage each other. Share where you see the good in their life and in this world. Talk about the good. Man, sometimes we like to talk about the bad, and I'm not saying there's not a place for lamenting. You have to see the good because it's there. God is on the move. The Lamb is on the move, and we need each other. Do you know the Bible tells us to do that for a reason? Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Are we considering that? Because you just looked around and all of us feel hopeless at times. My hand goes up too. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It is drawing near. Jesus' return is nearer than the first day you believed. Every year, every time we celebrate Christmas, every Easter, it's getting nearer. And all the more, encourage each other. Because it's also really hard. We need each other. So let's walk through this together. Verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun, his legs like pillars of fire. Many have thought, this is Jesus. Very similar description of him in chapter 1. I think that's unlikely. It seems more like an angel representing Jesus, a mighty angel. It's really the only time, I think, in the book that we get mighty angel. So it's representing, he's representing Jesus' presence, the cloud, his mercy, rainbow, his guidance, pillars of fire. You think of the wilderness wandering and 
the pillar of smoke and fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand. Remember the scroll the father had in his hand in chapter 5. Do you remember that? Yeah. And Jesus took it. Similar scenario here. Either this is the same scroll as Jesus had or probably a small portion of that scroll. That's why it's called the little book or the little scroll. And here's the point. This is God's plan for ending the old war world and inaugurating a new one. The old is passing away, the new is coming. And, and we're in this transition time. Jesus began it when he came. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the gospel. It's, the time is fulfilled. The time is at hand. The apostles, the disciples, they thought in their lifetime, this is all going to come to fruition. But the day of the Lord that the Old Testament prophets saw, it, it's playing out over millennia. They thought it was going to be like, boom, Jesus comes, that's it. No, it's, it's progressing, and it's moving toward the end. That's what the scroll is. And there's a small piece of it, it seems, that is given to John here that is related to us, to the church. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. So John sees... Um, the mighty angel, in his vision, in a dream-like state, one leg on the sea, one leg on the land. It's kind of like Ant-Man when he gets really big. You know, he just got, boom. It's like Lord of the Rings. You remember when they're going in the boats and, and the big statue of the king is going like this and they have to go under him to get through? It's not every day, every Sunday I get to do Narnia and Lord of the Rings in the same sermon. Okay, you got to imagine these things. you got to picture it. That's the point. You access the truth through your imagination. That's what Revelation asks you to do. What does it mean? Symbolizes God's dominion over the whole world. This is God's world, God's dominion. Signifies the whole world needs to hear this message. A lion roaring. This word going out to the whole world. Judgment if you do not believe in Jesus. Salvation if you do. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write them. Okay, now we got seven thunders in play. What are those? What do they mean? Well, John was about to tell us, and God said, no, uh, you don't need to know that. Don't write that down. You saw it. You heard it. Don't write it down. That wouldn't serve my people to know what are the seven thunders. God doesn't always tell us what we want to know, but he does tell us what we need to know. So if you ever hear of a book or come across a book, The Seven Secret Thunders of Revelation, put it down and run the other way as fast as you can. Subtitle, What John Didn't Tell You. We don't want to know what John didn't tell us. We just want to know what he did tell us. That's enough. And I'm sure it's out there. I'm joking, but I'm not joking. 
Like, I'm sure it's out there. If you search for it, don't search for it. It's an important point. Okay, God, God tells us and gives us what we need to know, but it's not always what we want to know. And I know that for some of you, there are things in your life that are just confusing. God, I don't understand. Why is this happening? Why would you allow this? Why would you do this? It doesn't make sense to me, and that can be incredibly hard when there are, are questions or you're trying to do something good and God is inhibiting you. Why? Why would you do that? It's really hard. And when God is silent, the question he's posing to you is, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And if you're struggling to trust, the only place you can go is to his character. If you understand nothing, you can understand that because he reveals himself to you. I am wise. I am loving. I am good. I am for you. And if it's hard even to get there, look at the cross. If we ever have a doubt that God is truly for us, we need look no further than Jesus hanging on a cross Bearing your sin. That's a clincher. Everything up to that, maybe, I don't know, is God really for me? But that, that's a clincher. Verse 5. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. I think the mystery of God here is the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Proclaimed, fulfilled in its mission. Just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So there's a lot to unpack here. The angel makes a promise. He swears before God, raises his, was it right hand, does it say? Yeah, right hand, just like we do. So that you know he's telling the truth. I mean, he probably doesn't have to do that, but it's like God swearing, uh, you know, upon an oath. He makes an oath, he makes a promise. Well, it's impossible for God to lie, so he could just say it. But he, he makes a promise, he makes a covenant, he makes an oath for our sake, so we can be like, okay, like doubly sure he's telling the truth. So that's what the angel's doing. I, I'm really telling you the truth here. There will be no more delays in getting to the end of history. No more delays. The days of the seventh trumpet are near, which means the end. The end. Which for us is the beginning. I told my daughter Greta at the beginning of the week I would stop and get her a blizzard, a Dairy Queen. I have not done that yet. But I will. I promised. And when I got home every day this week, what do you think she said to me when I walked in the door? Daddy. 
you know, do you, did you, do you have, do you have, she like didn't finish the sentence, do you, I said, I got you, G-Bear, don't worry, the promise will come to fulfillment at the right time. I mean, getting out of the driveway is a start, so when, you know, we get there, let's, we'll take the next step, okay? What God is saying to you here is kind of like that. He's saying, I made a promise in the Old Testament. It was hidden to you. Now it's revealed. My timetable is right on schedule. Everything is going according to plan. There's no more delays. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. The martyrs are saying, when? When is it going to happen? He's saying, just wait a little longer. Everything, the train is right on time. You can't see it. I can. I need you to trust me. It's going to be okay. I know you're excited. I know you want it to happen. I know you want to meet Jesus to return and it all to be fulfilled completely. I got you. Don't worry. And what is the promise? What's the content? For God did not send his own son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So some of you maybe need to hear that. If you have not believed in the one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ, you may be condemned. But the time is not fulfilled yet. You still have time to do something about that, to turn from your sin and turn toward Jesus. In the meantime, he wants us asking, he wants us praying, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come. He wants us anticipating, but he also wants us at rest. Things are right on time. There's no delays. I got it. Verse 8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. Again, if you remember back to chapter 5, it's very similar. Jesus taking the scroll from the Father's right hand. Now, at that point, was the scroll sealed or was it open? Remember, I had my my very elaborate prop up here, a rolled up piece of paper. It was rolled up. It was sealed. Now, Jesus is taking off those seals. Now, it's open. See that difference? The Lamb, the one, only one who is worthy to open the scroll has opened it. The seals are open for the sake of the church. Now we have an open scroll. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter. But in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter, and I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. <clears throat> now, some of you know exactly what he's talking about. Those two Big Macs tasted really good going down, but I don't feel so good now. Sweet and then bitter. My brother called me this week, I think, simply to tell me uh, that he had almost OD'd on Girl Scout cookies and uh, had in one sitting eaten an entire sleeve of Thin Mints and then immediately regretted that decision uh, and was keeled over on the couch. So 
John is having that kind of experience here, okay? It's bittersweet. Man, it tastes good going down, but oh, my stomach does not feel good. He eats the scroll, which is God's saving plan for his people, judgment for his enemies, and he's called to take that message to heart. That's what eating it means. You take it to heart. You believe it. We're called to do the same. Then he's called to announce it, to prophesy, to preach, to write. We're called to do the same. Not exactly the same way, obviously. But to internalize God's word, to take it, to eat it, to let it get in us as food. And then to proclaim it, share it confidently, without fear. Now, why is it sweet? Because it's good news. It's good news. Trust in Jesus and your sins are forgiven. Believe the gospel. God is on your side. Nothing can separate you from his love. Resurrection is coming. These are the best things in the world. Of course they're sweet. It's amazing. Why is it bitter? Because it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. When you follow Jesus, when you become more like Jesus, when you hear his word and do it, people push back. It's only natural. Did they push back on Jesus? A little bit. A bit. When you follow Jesus, understand Life does not get easier. It gets harder. So if you're thinking about Christianity, if you maybe grew up in the church, you've been to a lot of church services, you know about Jesus, but you don't really know Jesus personally, understand becoming a Christian is a million times better. A million times better than not being a Christian. But it is not easier in a spiritual sense. If you're not a Christian right now in a spiritual sense, life is easy. There is no fight inside of you. You, you want to sin, you sin. You want to do what you want, you do what you want. Jesus isn't my Lord. I don't take orders from him. I'm not in submission to him. I'm in submission to me. Life is not hard in that sense. When you become a Christian, now it gets hard. Because I got to fight. I got the spirit and I got the flesh. It's better, amen, but it's hard. It can be bitter and we're tempted to give up. To come to Jesus is to come and die. Your sin has to die so that the sinner can live. I want you to hear that. If you're not a Christian, Jesus loves you so much that he's wanting to kill your sin so that you, the sinner, can live. That's a good doctor. That's a great physician. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 14. He says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
What does that mean? It means becoming a Christian, following Jesus, is death. So that you might live. What comes after the crucifixion? The resurrection. You, You can't live unless you die. You can't be resurrected unless you die. What is a baptism? Oh, it's showing you. Dead, in the ground, under that water, alive. Jesus keeps going. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not at first sit down and count the cost? Whether he has enough to complete it. So, uh, Jesus is not looking for fair weather fans. He's not looking for people who want to use him to get something else. Health, wealth, a get-out-of-hell-free card. That's not who Jesus is. He's not a ticket to something better. He is the thing, the best thing that you get when you humble yourself and you repent and you say, my Lord and my God. He's not interested in playing your games whatever they may be. (laughs) You know, I'd really like to have this. I'd really like to get that. I'd really like to have a life that looks like this. Maybe this Jesus person can help me get there. That's not Christianity. That's demonic. Who is God looking for? He's looking for true worshipers, John chapter 4. He's looking for living sacrifices, people who are willing to as they live, continually die. Just, just, it's just a living death. And in that you find more joy than you can find anywhere else. Isn't it true that knowing God is the sweetest pleasure a human being can experience? Would you agree with that? Sweetest thing you can experience is knowing God. Would you also agree it's the hardest thing? Those of you who have been a Christian a long time, you know. And those of us who are a little younger in our faith, we're learning. Both the sweetness and the bitterness. In this life, they go together. In the life to come, no more bitterness. Now, why doesn't God make it easier? Why doesn't he just give us the sweet? Lord, can't you just give us the sweet? Why? Why do we have to have the bitter? Why do you have to make it hard? Why do we have to suffer? The Bible is full of reasons in answer to that question. And if you want to know more than what I'm going to give you today, read the Psalms, read Romans, read 1 Peter, read Job if you're brave. I'm going to give you one. One reason. Why God doesn't just give us sweet? Why does he give us bitter? Suffering is part of your witness. Suffering is part of your witness. Write that down. Because we don't think of it that way. To all kinds of people, even people in high places, kings, 
or, you know, whoever the king is for you. Someone in a position of authority, someone important. Here it is. When trials of various kinds come into your life, it's as if you're being put on a stage and a spotlight is on you. You understand that? When you suffer, when hard things happen, when bad things happen, you have an amazing opportunity. You are up on a stage and people are watching, and they are, don't doubt me. And they're laser focused when things are happening to you that are hard. And you have the opportunity to show them that what you believe is real. That Jesus is real. Because it's easy to be on the Jesus train when life is toot toot going good. It's hard to stay on that train when something bad happens. So when you suffer, when something is taken from you, when you don't understand, when you're trying to do something good and life is just beating you down and you have peace in your heart and a song on your lips, you confound them. You confuse them. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you follow a God who would allow this to happen? Are you taking crazy pills? Like, what are you doing? If a God ever did that to me, I'm done. And then they see you enduring. I trust him. He loves me. I can't see it, but this is for my good. And you endure in your faith, and what you're doing is inviting them to examine the living God. It doesn't make sense. And if this person is that crazy, they're going to follow this God even to death? I might want to check him out. I might be curious. How is that possible? Because life gets hard in all other circumstances. Your job gets hard. What do you do? You quit. People in their marriages gets hard. They quit. People quit all the time, every day, when things get hard. And if you stick with Jesus until the end, it's confusing and confounding, and you invite them to say, huh, how is that possible? Let me tell you. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what he's done for me. Let me tell you why I'm ride or die till the end. Look, Johnny said it. Christianity makes some pretty big claims. Does it not? God created everything out of nothing in seven days. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died. And then... He was resurrected. He came back to life. Like, put yourself in an unbeliever's position. What, what did you just say? Oh, and then he floated up into the clouds and sat down on the heavenly throne and is now ruling over all of creation. Those are big claims. And the bigger the claims, the stronger the proof needs to be. The stronger the substantiation needs to be. And there's a lot of it. In the Bible, there's a lot of it we could talk about, but one of the proofs is you. Your life, especially when you suffer. 
especially when you suffer. And you stick with Jesus, you prove the claims of Christianity are true. So don't ever think your suffering is for nothing. It never is for nothing. God is saving the world through you. Do you believe that? Because when they look at you, especially when you're suffering and you are trusting and you are following imperfectly, even just a little bit, God saves people through that. And you say, but no one sees me. Oh, my suffering, my, you know, I had a cold this week. Yeah, maybe I trusted God a little bit, but nobody saw that. Nobody sees those little things. Nobody's with me in those moments. I don't believe that for a second. I don't believe that at all. I think people are watching you, see you far more than you realize. It's an amazing opportunity. You will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. And when life gets bitter and you stay and you endure and you have faith, the gospel becomes sweet in other people's mouths. You make it sweet for them because, wow, if I could have a hope that strong, maybe I could endure anything. And that's the truth. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word today. We thank you for teaching us through the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, through angels, through John, through the church, keeping this book, the Holy Spirit superintending it, handing it down to us today so that we can have such great confidence that these are the very words of God and they are for us. I pray, Lord, especially for those suffering, for especially for those who are, are in bitter seasons, for those who are, are dealing with unanswered questions, mysteries, confusion. Keep them close. Help them to turn toward you, not away from you. Help them to choose to trust you and not doubt you. And may that be a witness to all those watching their lives that you are real and that you are good. May your grace flow through us into the lives of those around us, sovereignly, providentially put there. It's no accidents. We pray for your glory. Amen.